of course, the Bible. If you remember last week, we kind of talked about the, the Bible itself and the things that make it unique and um, those things that we need to understand as we're building a foundation of faith either in ourselves or in those we care about. Understanding you know, what the Bible is and what it is not uh, is important. And so this morning, I want to continue along that thread a little bit um, and specifically get into, okay, now that we've talked about the Bible, we've talked about Scripture, and we know what it is, um, how do we best use it? And, you know, the, the Bible, or God's Word, is described as being a sword. And the thing about swords is they require training, and they require practice. Otherwise, you can hurt yourself. You don't go into battle unless you've first trained with your sword. Otherwise... Uh, you're probably not going to fare too well. And so, this morning, continuing this Foundations of Faith series, um, specifically I want to talk about reading God's Word. And that might seem a little odd at first, because I'd wager pretty much everyone in here, if not everyone in here, is, is literate, speaks English, and so all of you can pick up this book and look at the words in it and read, Right? You learned to read a long time ago. For some of you, longer than others, right? Um, but we're familiar with reading the Bible, and we talk about being a daily Bible reader and, and all that. And so reading is important. However, I want to go a little further this morning and not talk about reading so much as reading. And so I'll, I'll get into uh, defining that here in a minute. Okay, so, so I want to propose to you that reading the Bible is more than reading. And I use quotation marks there um, because I'm going to get into more of, of the things involved in truly reading and not just skimming words and not just poring over pages. Um, what I want to suggest is that there are right and wrong ways to read the Bible. That just because you've looked at words on a page and you understand what the word itself means in the language that you understand, that does not necessarily mean that you have arrived at the truth. Okay? And so I want to provide an example for you to hopefully get this point across. And I've, I think I've used this before in some classes, so if, if you've already heard it, just be patient with me. Hopefully someone here, it's new to them and they'll take something from it. Uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 27, verse 5. Matthew 27, verse 5. The story told, it's probably a preacher story, so it probably didn't happen, of a guy who wanted God to speak to him through the Word. He wanted to hear God's voice in the Bible. And so what he decided was, I'm just going to take the Bible, and I'm going to open it up, and I'm going to put my finger down, and the first thing I see, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to follow God's Word however He wants me to do it. So he opened up the Bible and he arrived at Matthew chapter 27, verse 5. Would someone please read Matthew 27, verse 5 for us? So Judas threw the money to the table and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. Okay, that's kind of weird. 
not quite sure what to do with that verse, that Judas went and hanged himself. Uh, okay, let's try again. Maybe let's open it up again and see if we can get some more understanding from, from God just speaking randomly through His Word as I open the, open the book and stick my finger on a page. Let's go to Luke chapter 10, verse 37. Luke chapter 10, verse 37. Okay, would someone read that, please? And he said, He that show mercy on him, then said, Jesus, I'm thinking, go and do likewise. Okay, and it says that Jesus said here, Go and do likewise. Okay, that's a little troubling. What is God trying to tell this guy through these randomly selected Bible verses? Because now we have Judas hanged himself, and we have go and do likewise. And then in John 13, 27, the story goes, he, he arrived at this one, trying to again understand what the message was. John 13, verse 27. Someone please read that. So what did Jesus say? Whatever you do, do it quickly. Alright? So you see why the guy might have been confused. Because by just randomly sampling verses in the Bible, he arrived at, Judas went and hanged himself. Go and do likewise. And whatever you do, do it quickly. That's probably not what God is trying to tell us through Scripture. And so you see that this Ouija board method, um, if you're familiar with Ouija boards, I promise I don't know a whole lot about them, but it's the idea of like these people that kind of take this triangle and move it around to these different letters and they get messages from ghosts or something. But the whole idea is that they're all just sitting here and they're kind of wandering around trying to find whatever they land on to come up with something that might make sense. And that's kind of how some people approach Scripture. By the way, if you're, if you're filling in the blanks, it's O-U-J-I-A, I think, Ouija board method. Um, this Ouija board method of reading Scripture is not conducive to building faith. It's, it leads to confusion. Reading the Bible passively and just letting it come to you can lead to confusion. Because you're not really paying attention to what's being said. You're just taking in words. And you're taking them in as they come to you. Um, so I want to propose a more active style of reading. Where you're coming to the Scripture and you're putting in some investment and not just taking whatever happens to come up on the page. Because otherwise, as the, the man in the story, you would be very confused with what God is telling you. The Bible is God's Word, and so we need to read it as such. We need to read responsibly. We need to read with care, and not just as we would the newspaper or uh, some article on Facebook or whatever it may be. No offense to the newspapers. Uh, let's turn to Joshua. Joshua chapter 8. This was brought out in the, uh, in the book um, from where we're getting some of these lessons. So I wanted to kind of call these out as part of the original uh, lesson points. Uh, Joshua chapter 8, verses 34 and 35. It's talking about Joshua, let's see. Okay, then afterward, 
He read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, with the women and the little ones and the strangers who were living among them. So kind of an example here uh, to get the idea that we want to read God's word thoroughly. That's the first word, is thoroughly. We want to read thoroughly. And what does that mean? That means we're not favoring certain sections of Scripture. We're not excluding certain sections of Scripture. Um, it's, it's bad to bring up examples without having researched them first. I think what I've heard anecdotally was that, I think it was Thomas Jefferson that had a Bible where he had cut out the verses he didn't like. Someone from that time period. They had, their Bible had pieces cut out, and they cut out the parts they didn't like, and they kept the parts they did, and that was their Bible. That's not how we read Scripture. That's not how you understand God. You don't put emphasis on certain areas and neglect other areas, even if they might be difficult to read, even if they might be kind of boring, um, at least at face value. If we're going to read thoroughly, we want to read the, entire, uh, the entirety of God's will. Now, how we apply that and understand it, you know, we're not at that point yet, but just kind of understanding, you know, from cover to cover, we have God's will. We want to appreciate that. Um, that's, that's an important part of reading the Bible. You want to be familiar with the different sections of Scripture, with their purpose, and how they relate to each other. And sometimes when they call back to each other, which is, is pretty interesting when you find those times, those references. I also want to get into uh, Nehemiah. Be Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 5. That says, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. And the illustration here is the idea of, of viewing God's Word reverently. Okay? Having reverence for God's Word. Understanding that there is a quality to the Word of God, quality to the Bible, to Scripture, that makes it distinct from other things that we read. That it's not simply uh, a book to pass the time. It's not uh, simply just a textbook or a a history book, or even a, a moral book, but it's God's Word. There's, there's a nature to Scripture that sets it apart from other writings. And so we want to recognize that we're reading the Word of God, as I mentioned a minute ago. And also, I really like this point in the, uh, in the Gospel Advocate book. Matthew chapter 11. Let's go to Matthew chapter 11, verses 29 and 30. Uh, yes, okay, so Matthew chapter 11, verses 29 and 30. Jesus is speaking, 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Jesus says, learn from me, right? Learn from me, learn of me, learn the things that I have to teach you. And so we also want to approach the Bible with a desire to learn, with the interest to learn. I want to come to the Scripture with the knowledge that I have. And when I leave... I want to have left having learned something, okay? And I want to put, I want to make an active attempt to do what I can to ensure that, that I learn what Scripture is saying and that I do the things as part of my study to ensure that I am learning correctly, that I'm reading correctly and that I'm learning correctly. So again, not simply that I get from point A to point B, which is sometimes we can fall into, especially if we're trying to follow a reading schedule. You're thinking, okay, I've got to get through this chapter tonight. And it's easy to fall into. But we want to make sure to try to get to the Scripture and not just go from point A to point B and skim over the words, but, but learn something, take away something from it that we can then use later. So again, what I'm talking about this morning is trying to kind of um, lend towards that and, and kind of help build us to be better... Uh, Bible students. Hmm? Right, and I actually do have a point on that later. Uh, what he said was, we, we want to make sure to read, to learn from the Scripture, not take what we have with us and put it into the text. Right, that's the opposite of what we're trying to do. I'm not trying to go to the text and put in my beliefs or my opinions. I'm trying to go to the Scripture and have it inform my beliefs and my opinions. I want to take from the Scripture, not put into it. Okay. So, um, three main points this morning. And they kind of build upon each other. I, I like how this kind of goes together. But the first one is reading for content. And this is where a lot of people... Like Most people can do this to some extent, but a lot of people stop here, and that's part of the issue. But reading for content is, is knowing what the Scripture actually says. Going to the Bible, reading it, knowing it. Um, a lot of people have a lot of the... A lot of, blah, blah, blah. a lot of people have a lot of the Scripture memorized, and that's good because you know content, right? Uh, and that is important. That's not to be minimized. The point this morning is not to dissuade people from reading scripture and taking in content or memorizing it or reading on schedules or whatever it may be. That's not to discourage that at all. Um, it's more to build upon it and use that as a, a building block. Um, Luke verse 10. Luke verse, or sorry, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 28. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 28. A lawyer stood up and put him to the test, him being Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? I went one verse too far, but the point still stands. Um... So he comes to Jesus, and what is, what is Jesus' response when he asks him a question? He, he says, 
Uh, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What does Jesus say? Yeah, what's in the law? What have you read? Okay, what's the content? Do you know the content of the law? And he obviously does. He answers correctly. Um, so understanding content obviously has value because we see here even Jesus speaking with somebody. When the question comes up, Jesus essentially says, what, is, you know, what does God's word say? And that's a perfectly fine answer for us as well is, I have a question on something. How do I do this? Or what about this? Well, what does the Bible say? Go and read it. Um, but as, as the point I keep driving home uh, also comes up, Jesus then says, do this. Not just know it, but do it. But knowing is the first step. So first we need to know what Scripture says. Um, and how do we do that? Beyond simply just, again, just reading the words, I do have a couple of, of recommendations that I think are, are helpful. Um, first of all is what, what's called sometimes the five W's, if you remember that from perhaps a reading class, um, to help you reflect on what you're reading. Uh, that's your who, what, when, where, and why. Okay? So when you're reading Scripture, think about, okay, who is speaking? For example, in what we just read, Jesus is speaking, as well as this lawyer that was speaking with Jesus. And some people take that for granted. It's easy to take it for granted because we read in everyday life and we do this in the back of our minds. But if we st step back, sometimes we get more insight, understanding who is speaking at the moment. Who's talking? Um, is it Jesus talking? Is it an apostle talking? Is it you know, some, some other person in the New Testament Scripture who's talking? Are we in the Old Testament and it's a prophet talking? Uh, there's, there's a lot of different scenarios, different people in Scripture, and so it being a certain person speaking could have additional meaning. Uh, what is being said? What's being discussed? Well, it looks like we're, being, we're, we're discussing eternal life. That's the topic of this little section. But we're not only discussing eternal life, we're also discussing daily living, right? He wants, he's asking about eternal life, but what is Jesus teaching him? He's teaching him how to live day to day. And so the, the, the difference there is really interesting because the lawyer comes to him looking you know, far into eternity and Jesus' response is essentially, you need to be doing all this now, right? You need to do this daily, and then you get to eternity. Um, when, of course, understanding this is during the ministry of Jesus, right? That's important. Um, because, you know, what, what law are we under at the moment, right? Um, what point of Jesus' ministry is this? All of that can, can help influence further study. Uh, where sometimes also comes up in Scripture. Where are we? Uh, of course, you know, most of the Bible takes place in, in one section of the world. But if you're in Egypt or Babylon or Rome, you know, that could also help influence the reading and help you understand further. And then also why. Why is a, is a really good question that sometimes may be a little more, more difficult to get into. But reflecting on why did Jesus say this Kind of, I just did a minute ago. Why, why is Jesus talking about daily living as opposed to eternity like the lawyer wants to talk about? Uh, why is Peter doing this or saying this? Why is Paul writing this? What led him to do this? A lot of times you see in the epistles when Paul is writing, he's, re he's referring to issues that the churches he spoke to were having. And so that's the why. And that helps inform how we understand and apply the text because Paul's writing to a church. He's writing to address an issue that church had. 
But if we understand that why, that helps us figure out how do I apply what Paul is saying to me. Okay? So, so I think asking those questions and reflecting as you study can be very helpful. Uh, other things are just your, your basic uh, reading tools. So repeated words. Um, if you're reading a section, especially in the epistles, and maybe Paul is like really hammering home a certain subject, you'll see the word come up over and over again. And if you, if you pay attention to how often these words are popping up, that clues you in on what's the main purpose of this passage. What's the point he's trying to get across? He's going to be emphasizing salvation or he's going to be emphasizing grace or sin or whatever it is. Um, one time I was teaching a class at Fall Creek Falls Bible Camp and I believe we were in Ephesians and so I did a small word study on walking because there's multiple points where Paul is talking about walk like this, walk like that. And I thought it was pretty interesting to see, okay, we walk this way, we walk this way, we walk that way. And you can kind of break up the, uh, the latter half of, of, of Ephesians into the different types of walks that he discusses. Um, comparisons and contrasts. So sometimes, um, for example, Jesus is, is teaching, maybe it's a parable or maybe it's just a comparison he's making, but he might say the kingdom is heaven. It, kingdom of heaven is like whatever. And noticing that comparison helps you understand he's using an analogy or he's using a metaphor. Um, and also transition phrases are very important because that's how you understand the logical flow of a passage. So if I'm reading in the epistles, I'm reading Paul's writing, and he says a whole lot of things, and then he says, therefore, that tells me, okay, we've arrived at the conclusion. The things that he has said before this are all building towards whatever he's about to say. And all of those things are supposed to help support what he's now about to say. When you see a word like therefore, or a word like so. Uh, also words like if, you know, if something, then something. There's a link there between those two. Um, those kinds of things help you read for content. All right, second, second point is reading to understand. And this is where a lot of people, I think, in, especially in the religious world, kind of get... Either, either they're intimidated by the scripture and they don't go any further, or perhaps they're content where they are and they don't go any further. But once, you, once people grasp the content, sometimes they stop at the understanding portion. And I think that's where you get a whole lot of misunderstandings and disagreements on what scripture is actually saying because this is how you actually take the words and you provide meaning to them. Um, so I think it's very possible that we can read without understanding. And we even have examples of that in Scripture. If we go to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verses 30 through 35. <clears throat> Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him now the passage of scripture which he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shear is silent so he does not open his mouth and humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation for his life is removed from the earth? Now the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture he preached Jesus to him. So you see this this Ethiopian eunuch was reading scripture. 
And he understood the content. He knew that, that this was uh, a prophecy of some sort. But, and, and he understood the words being said. But he didn't understand the actual meaning of it. He didn't understand the full context. And so what I want to talk about now is considering uh, the context of passages. Because it's through context that we help arrive at an understanding. That's how we go from content to understanding. Uh, so I want to provide a few examples. This is not exhaustive whatsoever, but just to give an idea of what we're talking about when you're talking about context. Because I think we use the, the word a lot, and that's a good thing because it means we're aware that we need to take verses within context. But there's also, I think, multiple, multiple types of context. And that helps, if you think about it in, in these certain ways, when you're looking at the context, helps you again arrive at an understanding. So the first one I want to bring out is historical context. Historical context is what was going on in the world at the time when the passage was written. What's the historical background? What's going on around um, the event that we're reading about in Scripture? So, for example, uh, Luke chapter 2. If we read Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, uh, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while oof, Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. So this is historical context. Okay, this is, and this is easy because it's being given to us. Sometimes you kind of have to do a little digging to figure out some of the historical context around these passages. But this, we understand, okay, in those days, the days which we're talking about, um, Caesar Augustus made uh, a decree, okay? He wanted a census to be done. Caesar Augustus being Roman, right? Caesars were Roman, so we know that we're dealing with the Roman Empire, and we understand because of what happened in history around this time, this led Joseph to go from Galilee to Bethlehem, right? Which helps fulfill prophecy, right? This is prophecy being fulfilled, but it's being fulfilled through the course of history. And so pairing up this historical context with what we're seeing in Scripture uh, on, the, on the spiritual side of things, on the providential side of things, on the fulfilling prophecy side of things, can help provide more insight into how God is working. Uh, historical context can often uh, illuminate discussions and conversations in the epistles as well, and also the Old Testament. I don't, need to, I don't mean to you know, neglect the Old Testament this morning in my talking points. Obviously, historical context is very big there too. Understanding when we're talking about Babylon, when we're talking about Persia, all of that, uh, and how Israel is interacting with, with uh, those empires or, or Judah, um, also you know, really important. And you get a lot of these historical like, wars and battles between uh, all these nations as well. But that all helps inform our reading of Scripture. Um, another one that I want to mention is literary context. And this one is really big, and I think this one is not quite as obvious sometimes as the historical context. But literary context is what, what's the genre of literature in the passage? So if I asked you what genre of book is the Bible, 
What would you say? Is it poetry? Is it law? Is it history? Yeah, the answer is yes, right? There's a whole lot of different genres of, of literature in the Bible. You have prophecy, you have poetry, you have law, you have history, uh, narrative, uh, which is kind of history in our case anyway. But you have a whole lot of different types of literature. And so understanding what type of literature you're reading can keep you from getting confused. Um, great example, Revelation, just the book of Revelation itself. But I'll give you Revelation chapter 4 this morning, verses 6 through 9. Um, before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like a crystal, and in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf, and the third creature had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Uh, and when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, um, etc., the, the elders fall down and worship. This is a really weird part of Scripture to, well, to people like us who aren't used to reading that type of, of literature. This is apocalyptic literature. But if you don't know that and you don't understand and appreciate that, this can be very, very confusing because the word picture being painted here is these strange creatures that have all these eyes and all these wings and these different heads. And you can see why people get so confused about the book of Revelation. But if you understand the literary context and you understand that you're reading apocalyptic literature, you start to understand, okay, these are symbols. They mean something. Um, if you go back to uh, Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 10, what do we see? As for the form of their faces, each had the face of a man. All four had the face of a lion on the right and on the, and on the, and the face of a bull on the left, and all four had the face of an eagle. Uh, as you continue, uh, it talks about their wings and um, the description of these creatures. You see there's a link here. The description of these creatures in Ezekiel is very, very similar, using the same animals and everything, as in Revelation. And so that helps you, if you understand that Ezekiel also is prophecy, helps you place the prophecy in Revelation within a literary context. So you're not trying to read Revelation as history. You're trying to read it as what it is, prophecy. So that's a great question. Um, I mean, I think you probably have to... I think the true answer to that is, like, it depends on the person, you know, the, how they're approaching Scripture. Um, and I'm really not sure. Because when I, when I go to Revelation, and I, it, you know, studying, obviously, and having some references, and, and understanding the references here in the symbolism, I don't really see how you come to a whole lot of other different conclusions. I mean, I think maybe it just falls down to proof texting where people are coming to the scripture and trying to find some sort of mysterious code or they're trying to come up with some sort of pre-millennialist end times description or something. And so if you come to the scripture looking for that, that's what you'll find. Because the problem with prophecy, especially apocalyptic literature like this, 
is you can kind of make it say whatever you want it to if you're not understanding the context and if you're not respecting the references to other places in Scripture that Revelation has. You can kind of make it say whatever you want. That's my best guess. Um, the last context I want to mention is religious context. And that one's probably more straightforward for most of us. Uh, are you in the New Testament? Are you in uh, the Law of Moses in the Old Testament? Are you under the age of the patriarchs? But also understanding the religious context of the world around the Bible is, is interesting. If you understand some of the religions of the Greeks and the Romans, or perhaps some of the pagans in the Old Testament, that can also help you understand some of the things that are going on in some of these passages. For example, when Paul goes to Athens and he's speaking to the Athenians and they have all these idols to all these gods, including an unknown god, you know, that's an interesting piece of scripture that's rooted within the religious context of the Greeks. And so that also can, can help inform your study. Um, and, and kind of what you mentioned there, Paul, my last point on this part is to beware of proof texting because that is the issue. Is If you come to the scripture and you have an idea or you have a, a, an inclination of some sort and you put that in the text instead of reading the text for what it says, you fall into that trap of proof texting, which is part of the reason why you have so many different teachings from the same passages. You want to make sure that you're doing your due diligence to read the scripture honestly. All right, running a little short on time, but I think I can finish this morning. Um, third point is reading for growth. Okay, so we've talked about understanding what the Bible actually says, um, knowing the content, understanding what it says, and now applying it. And that's where growth comes into play. It's application. We want to know the Scripture, and then we want to apply it. So as we read and understand Scripture, we want to use it in our lives. And that's the reference I have is in uh, 1 Timothy 4, 13-16, where Paul is telling Timothy to go and use uh, what you've learned, go and teach others. Um, but really what it comes down to is we want to continue to grow in knowledge. Um, 2 Peter 3, 18 It says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We want to continue to grow. And that's part of the ending of, of Peter's letter here. He's emphasizing it. We want to grow in knowledge. And I want to say that this must not be neglected, but we can't start here. This can't be the starting point. A lot of people start at this point, and they skip over the content, and they skip over the understanding, and they jump right into applying. But again, if, you, if you're not going through this methodical way of, of reading the Bible, you can oftentimes fall into false teaching or error or misunderstandings. And I'm not saying it's coming from a, a bad place. People want to apply Scripture and live out their, their lives according to the Bible. But you want to make sure you understand what you're trying to apply before you actually try to go out and apply it. It's like going and trying to build the furniture before you read the instruction book. And we all do it. And you know how many times that works out well for you, right? Because then you miss something, you lose something, or it comes out upside down. I have built so many things upside down because I haven't read the instructions before I put the furniture together. Um, and so we want to make sure we, we follow a good method for study and not just read the Bible like you would a phone book and just go from top to bottom and continue on. All right, so my conclusion this morning, uh, God's Word is a gift but we need to use it responsibly.
And the problem is that many people never simply go beyond reading words on a page. We want to make sure that we're understanding what we're reading, that we're treating it with respect, and that we are putting in an active participation to our understanding of, of Scripture. Uh, and we also, of course, want to understand and apply God's Word, not merely, not merely just know the content. Okay. Did we turn the buzzers off? Okay, because I think we were supposed to tonight. I don't know if we did this morning. I was expecting it to go off on me. Maybe I finished early after all. All right, any questions or comments? No? All right, well, I hope, I hope this helps. I hope this helps your study. Um, I've, I've done several lessons on this from one perspective or another. So this is, this is a topic that I particularly like to address in classes. Um, so, yeah, if you have any questions any kind of further discussion you want to have, just let me know. But I appreciate your, um, your attention and your participation this morning. Thank you.